what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, yeah, now you need to go back, all right? Don't be, you know, think way back to when you were a little kid. What did you want to be when you uh, were growing up? And this may surprise some, uh, but I did not want to be Billy Graham. I don't know what you think preachers grow up wanting to be. Uh, Billy Graham was not in the, in the, and moment of transparency, when I was little, I wanted to be Spider-Man. Uh, I was reading about him. I thought that sounded like a cool job. And then once I realized that wasn't a possibility, I decided I wanted to be a cowboy. Uh, and then I was watching TV and I wanted to be Starsky and Hutch. And to be clear, not these, but these. All right? Not the new ones. I wanted to be the old ones. So this idea of what you want to be when you grow up, it's this decision that you make and remake uh, dozens of times. At least most of us do. Uh, I want to show you another picture. This is Shoyano. I think I'm saying his name correctly, when he was nine years old. So when he was nine years old, he wanted to be a doctor when he grew up. He's 28, and he's a doctor, which some of us become what we thought of when, you know, when we were little, uh, so that's not necessarily remarkable. But what is kind of remarkable about him is that uh, he was reading when he was two years old, and he was writing when he was three, playing classical music on the piano at four, composing by age five. He scored 1,500 out of 1,600 on his SAT when he was eight. Right. Yeah. 1,500. He graduated from the American School of Correspondence at nine, entered Loyola University of Chicago at nine, graduated summa cum laude at 12. He then entered the School of Medicine at the University of Chicago in the Medical Scientist Training Program, which is designed for those who want to earn an MD or a PhD. He was awarded a PhD uh, in Molecular Genetics and Cell Biology in 2009 at the age of 18. He entered his second year of medical school at the University of Chicago in 2009, and at 21 years of age became the youngest youngest person to graduate with an MD from the University of Chicago. Does that blow anybody else's mind? <laughs> Before he was a teenager, which by the way is about the time when some of us are trying to figure out, you know, if we're going to grow up, what we want to be if we grow up, uh, he's already doing it. Now I tell you all of that, and I kind of want you to think about that a little bit, because would it surprise you to find out that God already knows what he wants you to be when you grow up? And by the way, I'm not talking about career. But Paul would write about this to the church in Rome, and he said, for from the very beginning, God decided that those who came to him, and he knew who they would be before we ever made the decision, he already knew, they should become like his son. God's plan has always been for you and me to grow up and become like Jesus, because the more we become like Jesus, the more winsome we are. Uh, by the way, if this is your first Sunday here, my name is Mike, and I'm the lead pastor here at MCC. And we also, if this is your first time here, uh, we've got a gift for you at the back table. I hope you'll enjoy it. And if you are watching us online, thank you for joining us uh, online. And I hope that you'll join us in the big room here uh, at some point soon. But we're in this series called Winsome, and it's all about the whole point of Winsome is helping people come to know Jesus. And what we're saying is we are not happy. It's not, it's not enough for us to say that I have a relationship with Jesus, but we want to help other people have a relationship with Jesus as well, which when we talk about it, we say we want to live a life that leads to why, the kind of life that makes people who know us, watch us, see us from a distance go, what is it about them? What is it about their life? What, what is it, the way they think? What just gives, and that gives us this opportunity to talk about who Jesus is in our lives. And the bottom line for us through this whole series, and I gave it to you the very first week, I just want to remind you of it again this week, is that everybody needs Jesus. 
And we know that it, listen, there are a lot of things that people need around us. Some people need housing. Some people need food. Some people need a job. We get all that. And we try to help with that as well. But the bottom line, you know, when, when it comes to the end of the day, everybody needs Jesus. And we want to say that we are going to be the church. We are the church that has this heartbeat for, that for our city, for your neighbors, uh, for the people that you work with, to come to know Jesus. Because that's the heartbeat of the gospel when you read the gospel. And when we lose that heartbeat, the church becomes little more than a social club. Where we file in, we do our thing, we get our needs met, we meet some friends, we circle the wagons and ride out storms when we have storms. But I just want you to know, that is not the heartbeat of the gospel when we've done that, we've lost the heartbeat. The heart of the gospel is that what happened to me can happen to anyone. That if God found me where I was, he can find you where you are. And if God can save me with who I was, God can save you. And then you can know the freedom and the grace that I know as well. And truthfully, it kind of runs contrary to human nature. Because human nature is that we just kind of watch out for ourselves. You know, once we got ours, we're kind of happy about it. But that's human nature. You know, I'm sorry it didn't work out for you, but not real sorry because it did work out for me. So I'm kind of okay with it. Uh, so a little bad, but not real bad, right? That's human. But thankfully for God, it's not. And this, listen, this is important because people are searching. So everybody needs Jesus and people are searching. We've already talked about this, but they're hungry, they're hurting, they're open, and they're looking for something. And here's how I know. Because of something that God did before we were ever born, he did this. Ecclesiastes 3, Solomon is writing, he says this, he has made, God has made everything beautiful in his time, and he has also set what? Eternity in the, where did he put it? In the human heart. God has put eternity in the human heart. So if God put eternity inside the human heart, that means that people must be walking around looking for something that's bigger than life here on earth. And we know that's true because of something you have either, have either said or heard someone else say. And I'm going to bet somewhat in these, this is almost a quote that we've heard people say, there has to be more to life than this. Have you ever heard anyone say that? Have you ever said that? And usually it has something to do with school or work uh, or, or life is routine. There's something bigger than this. There's something more to life than getting up and doing this all over again tomorrow and the next day and the next day until we die. There's got to be more to life than this. And we know that there is. And Winsome is about living this life so that others will see what we're doing and want what we have. That's what this is all about. But it doesn't just happen. Some, we have to be part of that process. So if you have your Bible with you, Matthew chapter 7 is where we're going to be. So Matthew chapter 7, in your Bible, if you have your phone with you, the YouVersion app, you can find our notes there uh, this morning. <clears throat> and so if you're using your Bible, if you would pull out the notes that you were given, the handout you were given, discuss some notes for this morning. There are a couple things I want to make sure that you get. So Matthew 7, uh, beginning in verse 21. Jesus says this, this is Jesus talking. He says, not everyone who says to me, and he's in the middle of a conversation, by the way, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. And many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name, drive out demons and in your name, perform many miracles. And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. 
So Jesus is in the middle of this conversation. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. It's uh, three chapters long, and uh, our verses are part of it. And Matthew chapter 7 tells us that evidently a large group of people, there are crowds of people who are listening to Jesus talk about this. And so Jesus says to crowds of people, uh, he, he says, not everyone's going to get into heaven. Which, by the way, when I read that, when you hear that, that might be just enough to freak you out this morning. I mean, especially if you're here for the first time. Because maybe you're thinking, oh, because I was kind of hoping that, you know, maybe everybody was going to get in. And I'm kind of hoping that everybody's going to get in. And just so you know, God has been kind of hoping. He wishes they would all get in too. Which is why Peter says at the end of the New Testament, he's talking about Jesus' second coming. And he said, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. It's 2,000 years later. Where is he? Right? Why hasn't he come back? Instead, this is why, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's why God is waiting. He wants everyone to turn to him. But the Bible says that there are some who will not. As a matter of fact, one of the things Jesus says is that the road to heaven is narrow and only a few. When you take into consideration all of human history and people all around the world, so all of the people around the world through all of human history, Comparatively, only a few people are going to uh, find this, which, by the way, is pretty stiff. That's hard stuff. Not what we want to hear. But look at what Jesus says next. He says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name did we not drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me you evildoers. And it's not just that the judgment is going to occur. Hebrews tells us, you know, we read, it's not just this idea in one place of the Bible. The Bible talks about uh, the judgment that people are destined to die once and after that to face the judgment. And had Jesus said something like, at that time, many atheists and perverts and murderers and Democrats or Republicans, you fill in the party that you're not part of, right? Those who hear Yanny or Laurel, whichever one you didn't hear, right? I mean, we wouldn't be surprised by that, right? If he said that, we wouldn't be surprised. But in verse 22, listen, it's a person, they're, talk, they're calling him Lord. They, there was something going on there. They claim to know him in this intimate way, and their lives are marked by these miraculous signs, prophecy. When we think of that, we normally think of someone talking about a future event that's going to come true, but that word also means what we do, what I do on Sunday mornings, bringing a word from God. And so preachers do this on a regular basis, right? Uh, when we talk about driving out demons, Jesus did that. The apostles did that. Today, people who work with middle schoolers or preschoolers throwing tantrums understand what that's like, right? Perform many miracles. Listen, if they're not getting in, who is? Who in the world is getting in? So let me, let me ask you this, and, it, and it's on your notes because I want you to take it home and kind of think about it this week as well. If you were to die today and, uh, and stand before Jesus, and he asked you this question, why should I let you into my heaven? What would your answer be? If you stood before Jesus today, and he said, why should I let you in? Well, it's not like I ever killed anybody. Didn't rob any banks. I mean, I took 
candy bars when I was a kid from the store, but I didn't rob a bank. I'm a good person. I went to church. I read my Bible. I gave one of, I gave one of those guys who, carries, who holds that will work for food sign, I gave one of those guys money one time. I buy all my Girl Scout cookies from a kid at the church. I'm a good person. And I don't know if you've noticed, but these verses aren't just telling us who isn't getting into heaven. They tell us who is. On your notes, according to Jesus, it's not what you do, it's who you know that gets you into heaven. I just want to make sure we're all on the same page with that. Verse 23 again, then I will tell them plainly, I never, what? I never knew you. I never knew you. People in the Lord, Lord crowd have all of these external signs of religiosity. What they don't have is a personal relationship with Jesus. And here's what this means. You can fix pipes and not be a plumber. You can drive nails and not be a carpenter. You can have children and not be a mom or dad. Let that sink in. You can go to church, work in the church, keep the doctrine pure in the church, and not love Jesus. This is not a new problem. This isn't a 2018 problem for us. In the Old Testament, Isaiah 29, God says, These people come near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based, only, uh, is based on merely human rules that they have been taught. Can I just, let me just, I want to make this clear. It's not about how much you know. It's not about what you do. It's not about uh, how good you've been. It's about who you know that gets you into heaven. It's about a relationship. When Paul was writing to the Christians in the early church in the city of Ephesus, he would remind them of this truth when he said, it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. And it's not even something, you've, it's not even from yourselves. It's this gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast, lest anyone think that they've made it on their own. You just need to know in this mathematical you know, line, uh, when we talk about heaven, Works is not in the equation. You never hear it brought up. It doesn't exist in that, in that conversation. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. If we could, listen, if we could work enough to earn our salvation, do you know what we would do? We'd start bragging about how many points we have. Did you know I was the youngest one to ever in my whole church to get to go to heaven, to, to earn my way into heaven? Did you know I was the youngest one? Uh, I'm the first person in the history of the world to earn four free passes to heaven. I could give three of them to anybody that I wanted to because I earned so many, right? Listen, it's not what you do. It's who you know. James 4 says this, come near to God and he will come near to you in the Old Testament. So it's not even just this one isa. It's all over the Bible. God says in Jeremiah 29, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. When Sandy and I were dating, I chased after her hard with all my heart. And I used candy and I drew cartoons and I wrote her notes. Listen, I used all of my wit and charm at my disposal, which I know is like taking a butter knife to a gunfight. I get it. <laughs> but I did whatever I could to weasel my way into her heart. But the mistake that I make at times, and I wonder if others here make this mistake as well, is that we stop chasing each other. I've got the best wife in the world, and I get so caught up, so busy sometimes, I forget to chase her. 
when our team went to Haiti in February, I wanted her to know that I was thinking of her every day. So I conspired with my assistant, Miriam, and uh, together, Sandy, we made it so that Sandy received something almost, uh, if not every day, cards, flowers, notes. She went to visit her family uh, out of state while I was gone, and I made sure something was sent over there so that she would receive stuff, even in a whole other state, you know, uh, uh, while I was gone. It was, listen, you know, that was like one of the most fun things I got to plan before we left on this trip. And to be truthful, just so you know, I didn't come up with that on my own. I stole the idea from her because I've been gone for days or weeks on trips. And there have been times I've opened up my suitcase and there were all these notes with my name on it and different days of the week written on them, cards and pictures and letters just to remind me. And so I wanted her to remember and to think, even while I was gone, he's still kind of crazy about me. The best card I've ever gotten, Sandy, said, you know what I like best about us? You. Can I remind you of what you already know? You can get so busy, so caught up in life, and even the church, that you forget to chase God. And seriously, worship is one of the ways we chase God. But please don't let that be the only way. Because what you'll find out, what will happen, and maybe you have found this out already the hard way, like I had to find out the hard way, is that your relationship can just become religion. So how do we chase him? And this is on your notes. You need to write this down. It's really important. We need to intentionally develop our faith. We have to do, there's a, there's a part that we do. God chases us, but there's this part that we do where we chase him back, and it's very intentional. Look at Romans 8 one more time. Paul said, for from the very beginning, God decided that those who came to him, and remember, he knew who was going to, doesn't mean he made them, he just knew who was going to, because he knows, uh, he lives in today and lives in tomorrow, that they should become like his son. God's plan for you has always been for you to become more and more every day like Jesus. So from the very beginning of time, His desire has been to make human beings, we're all very different, but he wants us to develop his character, the way he thinks, the way he acts, the way he feels, his values, his moral character, the way he sees other people and values them. He wants to make you like himself. This is how Paul talks about it when he wrote to the church in Corinth. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Because babies are cute, right? Babies, puppies, and kittens, they're all cute. But if babies stay babies their whole life, that's tragic. God wants us to mature and develop. The question is, what does spiritual maturity look like? If you want to know what spiritual maturity looks like, look at Jesus. God in flesh on earth is what spiritual maturity looks like. It's possible, and maybe you know someone like this, but it is possible to get older and never grow up. It happens emotionally. It happens mentally. It happens spiritually. Paul wrote, just like we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so we shall bear the likeness of the man from heaven. It is God's purpose for your life to become like Jesus. And the more you become like Jesus... The more winsome you become and the more people begin to ask, why are you living like that? 
Luke chapter 2, I love this. Uh, when Luke's writing about Jesus, he's growing up as a child. Uh, Jesus is growing up. He writes this about his growing up years. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Think about what that means. Think about who was drawn to Jesus. Because everyone was drawn, even the people you would think would have been repulsed, repelled, offended, you know, would have been felt excluded because of his holiness. They were, the only people not drawn to him were the self-righteous religious leaders of his day, the only ones not drawn to him. Everyone else came to him like bees to honey. But just like our physical development, spiritual development doesn't just happen. You know, one of the best results of the Reveal survey has been that we have learned the catalysts that help people grow in their faith. And so we have determined, and we're saying it this way, MCC has determined that we will do six activities as a church that instill eight spiritual beliefs and attitudes, encourage seven personal spiritual habits, and drive people toward four spiritual practices with others. Please look at the big screen now. Because MCC will do six activities as a church that will instill eight spiritual beliefs and attitudes for those who are willing to have it done, that will encourage seven personal spiritual habits, which you do, you're responsible for, you take them and do them, and drive people toward four spiritual practices with others. Because we don't do our faith on our own. We do it in relationship, in community, with others. And God is here this morning but he's not looking to see what you're wearing on the outside. He's looking to see what, who you're wearing on the inside. Not to see who has filled this house, but to see who has filled this house in your life. Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment in the Bible? What is the greatest commandment? He reached all the way back to the beginning of the Old Testament and he said, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. It's not what you do. It's who you know. But I want you to catch this because it's next on your notes. What you do shows who you know. What you do is important because it does show who you know. Jesus would say this, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Hearing results in doing. Hearing always results in doing. Relationship with Jesus is impossible apart from doing the will of God. Religion never takes the place of actual obedience to the teaching of Jesus. Listen, how easy is it to, to learn some sort of religious vocabulary, right? Isn't it a blessed day? Yeah. Uh, I don't, <laughs> I'll be praying for you, right? Isn't it? We say those things. How easy is it to learn a religious vocabulary, memorize scriptures, even be able to sing religious songs and yet not obey Jesus? Works don't earn our salvation, but they do demonstrate that we are actually saved. Philip Yancey said it this way. It's on your notes. We strive for holiness not to make God love us, but because he already does. Because what we do shows who we know. And there's one more important one. Are you ready? How we live shows who we love. You don't need to explain to anybody. They're just going to know by watching. They will see what you're doing. And you can say whatever you want. But if it doesn't line up with how you live your life, it doesn't make any difference. Do you know how, do you know how I show Sandy I love her? When it comes to movies, Sandy likes romance. Movies that will touch your heart. She likes character development. 
one you can think about afterwards, talk about afterwards. If two people fall in love and one of them is dying tragically before they can tell the other one, I mean, that's like an A-plus movie. I like action. Mindless, brainless action. Mission Impossible is coming out with another movie this summer. I am excited. I don't need a storyline. I don't need to know who the characters are. And I don't want to talk about it when we leave. So I enjoy sitting with Sandy while she watches Hallmark movies. Or movies that are all about falling in love. Because I love her. Sandy likes me to go to speed limit. I like people to get out of my way. So Sandy loves me by closing her eyes and praying and holding onto that bar, you know? <laughs> Sandy likes to go to bed and go to sleep. I believe there ought to be more going on in the bedroom than sleep. I like to read a little bit before I go to bed. <laughs> James 2 says this, my friends, what good is it to say you have faith when you don't do anything to show that you really do have faith? Can that kind of faith save you? Listen, the things I do The way I live my life tells you everything you need to know about what I really believe. I can tell you I love Sandy until the cows come home, uh, until the music. I can tell you I I love Sandy, but really all you need to know is how do I treat her? How do do I treat her as if I love her? And I can tell you that I love God. But how I live and how I intentionally grow my relationship with him Listen, please don't judge that on the fact that I'm up here talking every week. Please don't judge it on that. That is not how you know. You know by watching how I live my life between the times I speak on Sunday morning if I really love God. Which is why, by the way, we've been asking you to pray this prayer. So if this is your first Sunday, we've been asking everyone to pray this prayer every day in the month of May. Every day, make this part of your prayer. Jesus, change me because I desperately need it. I need you to change me. I can't change myself. I need you to, I will be part of it, but I need you to do your part of it. So please change me because I desperately need it and the world desperately needs you. Every day, every day, literally pray those words every day. And I've said this and and I hope that you can, I hope you hear this in your sleep because the world will never get Jesus until Jesus gets us. Please hear that. Please hear that. And this month, we've been asking you to do this as well. So pray that prayer and then invite this person to that thing. I don't know who this person is for you. It's going to be different for all of us. Invite someone who does not know Jesus to coffee, to your house for dinner, out for pizza, uh, someplace where you get a chance. Go to Grandpa Joe's. Go to What's Poppin'. Get some great stuff, you know, good stuff to eat. But invite this person to this place where you just put yourself in proximity. Your story is now in proximity to their life so that if they have a question, they can ask it, and then you get to talk about Jesus because they've asked you about him. You know, every week we stop and remember and recommit. We remember that God loves us so much that he gave his son for us, that Jesus became, he put on flesh, became a person so that he could die and pay a debt he did not owe because we had a debt we owed that we could not pay. And Jesus came to take our place. That's how much he loves us. And we come to remember that. And we come to recommit ourselves. King David, when he was writing the Psalms in Psalm 18.1, he wrote this, 
I love you, Lord, my strength. I love you. You are, you are my strength. I love you, God. I love you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I, I love you. You are my strength. And we take these symbols each week. The bread that symbolizes his body that was broken on the cross. The, the juice that reminds us of his blood that was spilt for us on the cross. He gave his life for ours. And we remember that. And then we recommit our lives not to going to church, not to reading the Bible. I shouldn't say not only, but to loving him back. Let's go to him in prayer. God, thank you for the chance to be your kids. Thank you for loving us so much through the cross and being with us every day and calling to us. And if we're willing, you will work inside of our lives to reshape us so that we look more like you all the time. Not that we all look exactly the same or act or talk exactly the same, but there's a similarity between us, uh, between each other here, because we all reflect you. We're a kind of an echo of heaven. We bear the image of our Father in our lives. There's a family resemblance. So God, thank you for that. Thank you for sending your Son to die in our place so that we might have the hope of eternity with you. And thank you for being with us here every day and loving us and walking with us through some of the darkest days of our lives so that we can continue to help other people see you. And may this time now be about remembering and recommitting ourselves to loving you. And we pray this through your son, Jesus. Amen.